A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Listen for God's word to us this morning. Now on that same day, the day of Jesus' resurrection, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you were walking along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite poets passed away this past year. Um, I tend to think about people who pass away over Easter time. Mary Oliver, in one of her poems, she has this great little snippet. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. So I was sitting at a bar in Denver, Colorado, about a dozen years ago. It was 11 o'clock at night. I'd order a mini pizza off their midnight happy hour menu to go with a cold beer, and I asked the bartender if he could turn the station over to Sports Center so I could see the Angels highlight. I was perfectly content. This is a perfect evening, as far as I was concerned. I'd spent an all-day teaching a doctor of ministry uh, 
class that, at that time for Denver Seminary, and I'd spent um, all morning and all day in that class, and then I'd put the class into small groups, and so I spent all afternoon and evening fishing in Cheeseman Canyon. So after spending the morning teaching and the evening fishing, um, I had said goodnight to Beth, and it was the end of the evening, and I was by myself in this little restaurant bar watching the angel game with a pizza and a beer. It was a perfect day. And just then a man walks up next to me. He puts his very big frame on the bar stool next to me, throws his keys on the table, he orders a double bourbon, throws it back, <sighs> takes a big sigh, looks at me and says, how's it going? I'm beginning to wonder whether or not I'm going to get the chance to actually watch those angels' highlights. I've been on my feet teaching all day. I have been chasing fish around all evening, and I could tell that he was a person who wanted to strike up a conversation, so I kind of nodded at him, and then he said, so you in town on business too? Oh, now I know where this is going. I'm barely going to have a chance to watch these angel highlights. I can tell. So I'm trying to decide at this moment just how friendly I'm going to be, and so I look at him and I say, yes, I'm actually from California. I'm just here for a few days, flying back tomorrow. Want to just get a bite to eat? He looks at me and says, so what do you do? Oh. So this is always a tricky thing for me. Today it's easy. I can actually, if I want to have a lighthearted conversation, I say, I'm an administrator at a school. People like that. On occasion, I say, I teach leadership. That's fine. But back then, if I was going to tell the truth, I would have to say, I'm a pastor at a church. If there's any conversation that is either becomes awkward instantly or becomes the ultimate party killer, it's to tell somebody that you're a pastor. But this moment, I was hoping it would kill the party. I just wanted to watch the angel scores. And so I looked at him straight in the eye and said, I'm a pastor of a church. And I was waiting for it, the blank stare, the stammer, the, oh, well, that must be very rewarding for you, before he sidles off for the rest of his evening. But instead he didn't. He went, no, expletive deleted. <laughs> he looks at my beer, he looks at the bar, he looks at his watch about what time it is, and he says, really? Hey, so since I got you here, can I ask you a couple of questions? Uh, I said, sure. He goes, so, when, so you pastors, when you're not doing those little speeches you do, what do you do? I'm pretty good at answering that question. My dad's been asking me that all year, for years. Um, so I looked at him, I said, look, I have a staff, we care for people, we try to be there with folks, we do a lot of things, but you know, here's, here's really what I do. I, said, I looked him in the eye and I said, you ever seen the movie Fight Club? <laughs> He's like, yeah, actually, it's one of my favorite movies. I said, you ever seen the scene in the movie where Ed Norton's on a plane and Brad Pitt walks up next to him and he tries to impress Brad Pitt, so he starts telling him how great his life is? Brad Pitt looks at Ed Norton right in the eye and says, you like being clever, don't you? And Ed Norton says, yeah, I guess so. And Brad Pitt then looks him square in the eye, kind of like he knows something, and says, so how's that working out for you? And at that moment, Ed Norton does what most people do when they're trying to impress people. He lies. He looks at him and says, it's working out great. Thank you very much. And the truth is, his world is burning down around him. I look at my new friend and I say, that's what it means to be a pastor. I spend enough time with people and our church tries to get to know people well enough that eventually we can get in their lives and we can look them square in the eye and we can ask them at some critical moment, so how's this all working out for you? takes a deep breath, 
He said, this is what I do. I said, I'm a God's party crasher. I'm the guy who walks into your life. And the people in my church are the people who walk into our neighbors' lives. And we ask people to pay attention to the way their lives are going and to wonder whether it's the way they always wanted it to go. He takes another long pull on his bourbon, and he begins to tell me his life story and what it's like to be a traveling salesperson and how it's not working out well at all. And I never get to see the angels' highlights. In our passage in Luke 24 today, Cleopas and his companion get a far more powerful experience of God crashing their little dinner party, don't they? Luke 24, 29 through 31. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked on as, walked ahead as if he were going on. This is a critical moment in the story. They've been together all day, and Jesus asks his, acts as if he's going to walk on, and they have to look at each other and decide, well, why don't you stay with us? It's almost evening. The day's now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. It's a great story. Let me make a couple of observations about what sometimes we might miss in this. First of all, Cleopas and his companion have been walking alongside the risen Jesus all day long, seven miles or so. They've just been walking all day long, and they haven't recognized him. They're just clueless to what's happening. They're literally talking to him about him, and they don't get it. I mean, it's just absurd when you're listening to the story, right? The narrative says that Jesus taught them about the scriptures, they talked and walked together, that at the end of the day, he acts as if he's going to go on, and then while they're eating dinner, Jesus breaks the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, right? We all see where this is going. This is a reference to the sacrament, right? This is what this is about. This is what Jesus had exactly done, almost down to the wording of that comes out in the narratives earlier about the Last Supper. The only problem, of course, is that Cleopas and his companion hadn't been there four nights earlier. So they weren't paying attention to it the way we pay attention to it. Throughout church history, this has been a passage about the way in which Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of the bread and the communion of God's people in the sacrament. But the thing we have to remember is the sacrament isn't some magical ceremony, as if now all of a sudden we see things we don't. The sacrament is the reminder to us that God's presence is with us in every part of life, the most ordinary parts of life, in things like bread and wine that we do every single day. This is a good reminder to us that the Jesus who appeared to us in those moments, those liturgical moments, is meant to tune our eyes to be able to see God, see his presence in every moment. Cleopas and his companion weren't there. It was as ordinary as two guys eating a pizza at a bar in Denver. It's just an ordinary, everyday experience where two men become aware that Jesus is right in the middle of their ordinary, everyday experiences. We've been in on this joke the whole time we're listening to the story. Cleopas and his companion just get into this moment. We're not our hearts burning. Wasn't he here all along? And that's exactly the point. That Jesus is right in front of them. The Lord of the universe is with them. The ordinary, everyday experiences are actually holy encounters with the God of this world. Right? Pay attention. Be astonished. And this is exactly what we have in this passage. That God is here in our midst all 
the time. Here's the other part. Then he disappeared. (laughs) Now, if that story wasn't odd to start with, now it gets really odd. And here's one of the oddest parts about this passage. Luke passes over that like it's no big deal at all. Like this thing, and this is a good reminder to us that even Jesus' miracles are not meant to be like little parlor tricks. Usually the miracles are meant to point to something. They're signs that are meant to show something. They're meant to re- they're help us see something, even in his disappearing, that we wouldn't otherwise see. So what is up with this? I mean, let's face it. Let's assume you are double bourbon guy sitting at the bar, and you run into this guy, and you strike up a conversation with, and you find out that this guy is not just any ordinary traveling salesperson, but is actually a pastor who begins to ask you questions, and you begin to recognize that you're having a much different conversation than you've had in every Ramada in bar for the last six months. What would you want to do if you found out that it wasn't just a pastor but it was actually Jesus himself. What would you want to say? What would you want to experience? What would you want to know? Or maybe it would just be enough to know that Jesus was actually here. That Jesus is the one who's actually here in the flesh over and over and over again, showing up through the people of the Holy, who have the Holy Spirit in our lives every day. That Jesus has been here all day long. And maybe this is Luke's way of saying that the more that you knew that, then you wouldn't need to see him in spectacular ways anymore. Notice what the passage says. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening up the scriptures to us? At that moment, their entire perspective on their whole day changed. They now looked back. They just hadn't just walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, probably a, a trip they did all the time. This was a day they would never forget. This is a very significant day because on this day, they hadn't just had a chance encounter with a stranger on the road. They'd been in the middle of a divine appointment. They'd spent the, this entire day in the middle of God's presence being instructed by God with God's word. When they would look back on this day for the rest of their lives, they would talk about it as a day they spent with God. At that presence, knowing that he is with us, knowing that he's with us all along, and knowing somewhere within us, now that Jesus has a resurrected body and has released his spirit into the world, into the church, is that we can learn that he's always with us especially as he taught them that day in moments of suffering, in moments of grief and disappointment, in moments when our world seems to be going differently on a different path than we thought. So here's my advice for all of us on this second Sunday of Easter. When God shows up unexpected in your everyday life, pause and look back and see that he's actually been there all along. When you have one of those moments, right? Those moments that catch you off guard. Like when you held the birth of your baby with this swiggly, squirming little child, you realized rearranged all the cells in your being and your very purpose for being. Because now you understand something profound has happened to you. Or when you have one of those moments when your entire career trajectory seems to be going completely different than you expected. When you come out of a 
doctor's appointment and the conversation has gone completely in a different direction. When you take it in a moment that is as beautiful as a sunset or as heartbreaking as closing the eyes of a loved one for the last time, maybe you'll remember that the God who met you there with your burning heart and the lump in your throat and the tears in your eyes has actually been here all along. Maybe in one of those little speeches that Matt does every week. Maybe in a bar on a business trip. Maybe somewhere in the middle of it, you will have recognized that God is always asking us over and over again, so how's this all working out for you? A wise person once said, going through life is like rowing a boat. You can only go forward as you look backward. And so when God shows up in your life unexpectedly, when you find yourself in one of those moments where you're calling out to God, my encouragement to you is to learn to use it to reflect, to look back, to recognize God's presence that has been there all along. So double bourbon guy and I spent an hour talking about his last girlfriend who became a Christian and broke up with him because he wasn't religious enough about how the most meaningful thing in his life wasn't all the money he was making, though he thought that that would have been what it would have been, but was the charity that he, uh, that he was beginning to do and the charity work he was beginning to do and that his life was beginning to feel lonely on the road chasing the next big deal. I tried to help him see that God has been with him all along and that maybe this little moment here in this Denver bar at 11 o'clock over a pizza and not watching the Angel game was actually an encounter for him to encounter a God who's been with him all along. Jesus is the God who came through this world and walked in our shoes. Jesus is the one who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pours himself into the people of God so that we can walk with other people along the dusty roads of their lives. And that became God's party-crashing moment for me. Because what I realized in that moment when I was trying to do everything except talk to the person next to me, that God's party crasher was a double bourbon guy who'd come into my life, who wanted to disrupt my evening plans by reminding me of my calling, who wanted me to learn again to pay attention, to be astonished, and be willing to tell the guy sitting next to you a little bit about it. See, I believed I'd served God plenty that day. I'd been teaching pastors, and I'd been hanging out with a pastor friend. But I'd fallen into the trap of thinking that the classroom and the sanctuary and the conversations I had with my religious colleagues were the same with only religious work God wanted me to do that day. I really hadn't wanted to have a conversation with that guy at the bar. But God reminded me that he's everywhere, not just in church pews or in seminary classrooms, but in beautiful canyons and in dingy bars at night. If I'd blown double bourbon guy off and fibbed about my job or, or ignored him, I would have missed a chance to be used by God to remind a lonely soul that Jesus was always walking alongside him if he'd only see it. And do you know how I know this? Because it's what the scriptures teach. It's what Jesus did to Cleopas. It's, he took him back to the scriptures. He said, look, in the scriptures... It says the, world, the life goes this way, that the Messiah might have to suffer this way. It's the scriptures. It's why John Calvin said the scriptures are the spectacles of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the scriptures that remind us that this world belongs to God and all that's in it, that we can't flee from his presence, that he comes to us, he seeks us out, he finds us like a shepherd looking for lost sheep. He's like a doctor looking for sick and wounded souls. He's like a parent waiting for the prodigal child to come home. And the scriptures tell us that we who have been found are to be God's messengers, that we who have been astonished are called to be able to tell people about it. That we are God's ministers. That we're to be used by God to be his hands and feet and voice to others, whether it's in a classroom or a pew or a bar in Denver at 11 o'clock at night or anything in between. In the famous play, Our Town, Emily is a young woman who, gets, who has died, who gets to come back and spend a day seeing her family from a new perspective. She asks, in a famous line, do any human beings ever realize life while they live it every, every minute? The narrator, no. Saints and poets, maybe they do some. Poet Mary Oliver, instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. My hope and gift for us as a congregation in this Easter time is that we would be aware of God's presence in our life every, every minute. That we would become people who unabashedly and winsomely Learn to point to others to the presence of Jesus who's in all of life every, every minute. That we would learn to be astonished. We would learn to pay attention. And yes, we would learn to tell people a bit more about it. Even if it means that you might have to miss Sports Center or something else along the way. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell people about it. Amen.